December. This is the third week of it. And I wanted to thank the Hill family, uh, Lorraine and Basil, who read that, and uh, Evely uh, being up here to light the candle as well. In fact, Lorraine was just baptized right there just a couple of months ago, uh, one of the first ones to be baptized in our community center. Uh, the Advent candles are a new tradition that we had here, which really is an old, old tradition uh, for those who have been Christians for a number of years. The four Sundays leading up to Christmas, uh, one candle per week that symbolizes hope and love and joy and peace, uh, all anticipation of the Christ candle, which is the middle candle that will be uh, lit on Christmas Eve when we celebrate those services, which um, is anticipation of the promise that God gave to his people, the Israelites, some 600 years earlier than when um, Jesus finally came. And so Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 is what that promise comes from. We read this, and I shared a message on this a couple of weeks ago, the first Sunday of Advent. But I want to ask you to read this with me. It'll be up here on the screen. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Would you read it with me? Go. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So some 600 years after this prophecy is when Jesus, the Messiah, finally came for the first time. Uh, we talk about it now uh, of, of, of um, being between the two advents, the first advent that came 2,000 years ago, and the forever that will come that verse 7 talks about, that he will reign and on that time forever and forever and forever. In fact, I like what author David Bisgrove says about this. He says, Advent is about how to live between once upon a time and happily ever after. That's where we are. The once upon a time that began back in the book of Genesis and the uh, happily ever after that ends in the book of Revelation. We are there. We are living in the midst of that. And my challenge to you today is really to live with the joy that God wants us to live with. Not a joy that's dependent upon circumstances. That, that would be called more a happiness. This is a joy that is there because God is in our lives. A joy that is there no matter the situation. A joy no matter the circumstances. This last year, or excuse me, this last week, um, Pastor Pablo uh, came to one of our staff uh, prayer times, and we prayed over him because he has um, cancer. And uh, for some of you who know Pastor Pablo, he's been our Spanish church uh, pastor for a number of years. Um, and we actually became aware of this back uh, over the summertime, and 
And um, he's kind of downplaying a little bit because it wasn't a very aggressive form of cancer. They're trying to treat it very lightly. He thought he might lose his hair, but he did not have to lose his hair. In fact, he says he feels great. But tomorrow they're doing a surgery uh, on him to uh, possibly remove part of his colon. Um, uh, They'll open him up and see if it needs that. If not, they'll say, great, you are fine. But if they need to, they will. Um, So you can be praying for Pastor Pablo early in the morning uh, tomorrow um, when he has that uh, procedure done. But as we were praying over him, in fact, we were praying over right over here on Thursday morning, we prayed over him. I could just tell he had a, a, a calmness about him, a peace about him, and in fact, a joy that only comes from knowing Jesus uh, because he said, you know what, I've been able to share Jesus with the doctors and the nurses and with everyone else that I come into contact with, and I know God's going to take care of me. That's living with a joy. That's not living with a happiness that it depended upon, well, is this going to be cancer or not? Is things going to you know, go down a wrong road? Then I wanted them to go. That's a joy that we have because we know God is in control. In fact, I shared that with my men's uh, group on Tuesday morning. I just said, guys, you know, there are some things in life that we have to go through. We might not choose to go through them, but we have to go through them. We might as well do it joyfully which is right where we kind of enter into the story with Mary and Joseph because some things surrounding their daily lives were happening to them that they had to choose. How are we going to experience this? And so let me pick up where Basil was reading in Luke chapter 2. And he read those words that are so familiar, the Christmas story as we know them. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, which was the first census while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so everyone went to their own town to register, it says. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And there he went to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, Mary was told, as we talked about last week, that she was going to have to go through some of these circumstances. And so she could choose how she wanted to go through them. She didn't choose to go through them, but she could choose how she went through them, and she did that joyfully. Joseph's the same way. At first, he was kind of going the other way, saying, you know what, I'm not cut out for this. This is not what I want to do. But after the angel visited him and said, no, it's okay. This is of God. Again, he chose to walk out and do it in faith and to say, okay, God, even though I might not understand this, I will also walk in this because you are in this. Now, that wasn't easy. Never promised to be easy. In fact, it might have been very difficult, and we know it was very hard. And sometimes it's in moments like those that we, 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 we have to choose joy. And sometimes it's even in moments like those where we begin to question, okay, God, um, really? Now? Again? I mean, I mean, some of you may be here today and experiencing things in your life that just maybe you feel like they're kind of unfair. Maybe it's something with your health. Maybe it's something with a relationship that you've been in. Maybe it's even your marriage. Maybe it's a child that you're dealing with, and maybe they're grown, and your families are just a little bit at odds over time. Maybe it's something about your finances. Maybe it's something with your job, and you feel like you've been doing your part. You feel like you haven't really been doing it wrong. 
You've been doing it. You've been trying to follow God. And even in those difficult times, it's hard to. But maybe now you're kind of feeling weary. And maybe you're even feeling like, you know what? Would now be a time to kind of just walk away from God and do it my own way? Now, one of the experiences that people don't tell you maybe when you first become a Christian is that from time to time, you do get weary. Time to time, you might question, should I continue following God and and, and going down this road with Him? And if you've been a Christian for a while, you know this. You know it's not all about the mountaintop experiences. You know it's not all about just walking up and up and up and up. There are valleys that are involved. There are hills and valleys involved in the Christian walk. Maybe you're a newer Christian here, and you're just now trying to kind of figure that out. And you're not sure, and you're beginning to feel, huh, am I the only one kind of going through this? There come Sometimes in our lives where being a Christian, and I'm just going to be gut level honest here, being a Christian where you just get tired of being good. Maybe, maybe, maybe you feel like, you know what, God, I've been trying to live up to your standard, but it's too hard. Or maybe you've been saying, I, I'm trying to do this the right way. I, I'm trying to obey you, I, but I'm just getting weary and tired of, of measuring up. And maybe it's because you you feel like you've been doing it right, but you haven't seen the payback come yet. You know, you're thinking, I I was good on Monday, and it's already Thursday, and I'm not seeing an answer to whatever I was good at. Right? We we get in that kind of microwave type of feeling, don't we? Or, Or maybe we've been reading our Bible, we've been faithful of reading our Bible, but things haven't been changing yet. Or maybe we, um, you know, have started tithing this year, and we say, okay, God, I know rightfully this 10% is yours. I want to give this to you. Maybe it's even been a few months that you've been doing it, and you're thinking, okay, there should be a check coming in the mail anytime to kind of take care of me. And, you know, God, I've been doing it right, but I'm not seeing this. Or maybe you've made a decision this year to stay in your marriage. It's been difficult. It's been frustrating. And, and you're not seeing things change. And you're getting a little bit weary. It's not that you don't love God. You love God. It's not that you don't believe in God. You, you, you do. But you're just kind of thinking, you know, God, this is kind of hard um, going through the long haul here. and I'm getting a little tired on this. And I, I just maybe need a vacation or, or maybe just a weekend where I can just do my own and do it my own way. Maybe you're saying, God, you know what, can you maybe just not be a part of my life for this one weekend and let me just kind of do it my own way? And, and I'm just getting weary from kind of doing good. Again, it's not that you don't believe. You, you believe. You're just kind of tired. Maybe you're a college student. And you, maybe you're home from being uh, away or maybe you're from uh, Delta UOP. Or, you know, and, and, and you've been trying to set the standard in your own um, uh, group of friends, but, you know, they've just kind of shunned you a little bit because you don't do the things that they do and you know you don't want to do the things that they do. You don't want to pay the consequences from doing the things that they do. And maybe now you're home alone or you're sitting in your dorm alone and you're just kind of thinking, really? Is that, is that where I need to be? And, and, you, and you just don't see things changing in that way. Or maybe you're single and you thought you'd be married. You thought, you know, if I lowered my standards, I could be married to a number of different men or a number of different women. Um, yeah, you know what? Do, do I have to keep these godly standards? And, and who set the standards anyway? Uh, and so really, do, do I have to keep that? And, you know, that may have worked for my grandparents way back then, but this is the 21st century. Let's do it differently. You're thinking, I'm just not so sure it's all working this way. 
or maybe you're a businessman and you've been doing it the right way. You, you've been honest and upfront about the deals, but you're not getting the deals. You're not even getting the bonuses because maybe you've been a little bit too open and honest with what you've been sharing and, and, and saying. And, and now some of your people, some of your work associates are coming and saying, you know what, you don't have to lie. Just don't disclose everything. And, and, and you know, you can get some of those deals. And you're thinking, no. No, I, I, I've been taught, and I want to do it the way the Bible says to do it, but God, come on, cut me a break. Can't it just be something that, that, that you, you, you push through and let me do it honestly and with integrity? Or, or maybe you think, maybe I shouldn't come to a church like First Baptist um, because they care too much about how I live 24-7. Maybe I'll just go to a church where I can just kind of slip into the back. The pastor talks about stuff that really isn't very applicable to my life that you know maybe even uses some different big words that I have no idea what he's talking about. And it doesn't relate very well. And I can just then leave and not feel guilty because I did my God thing. I checked off the box and I was there and now I'm gone. We've all had those thoughts. We've all probably had those struggles. If you're honest, you've probably had those too. And the reason I know that is because I've had those thoughts too. We've all had those from time to time. In fact, the Bible addresses some people who had those thoughts. Let me share with you a verse about some people going through those things and what the Apostle Paul says to do. It's out of Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Here's what it says. It says, let us not become, what's the word here? Weary in doing what? In doing good. Now, why would Paul say, do not become weary of doing good? Because he knew that the people were becoming weary in doing good. And it's not, again, that they didn't believe in God. They know God. But God, sometimes it's just hard to continue to walk down that road. It's hard to follow those standards. And the Bible acknowledges that there are seasons, there are phases, there are periods in our lives, there are time spans when we get a little bit weary, when we get a little bit tired. And we say, God, I don't want to just stay home on the weekends. I want to be having fun and doing the things. But yeah, I just, it hasn't clicked on what I should do and what I can't do. I don't want to just be home in my apartment. Maybe I could go out. God, would you just let me do that this weekend and not feel guilty about it? Or maybe, you know, you're married and you feel like you're home and you hear your husband coming home. The garage door is going up. And you're like, oh, boy, the ogre is here. Oh, my Here comes the fighting, here comes the arguing, here comes the bickering. Or maybe you're on the other end and you're driving home and you're thinking, can I just go do one more errand and not have to go back home? Because things aren't changing as you'd hope that they would. You're trying to do it right. The Bible acknowledges there are seasons when we go through these types of things. And in reality, this is the backdrop of the feelings of the Israelites as they are now entering to the story where we see Caesar Augustus issued his decree. Mary and Joseph have been waiting 
for hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. They had heard about it from their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents and their great-grandparents, but now they're a little tired, and now they're a little weary, and it says in verse 6-9 of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, okay, what you said back then about, you know, this baby being born, the son will be given, wonderful counselor, mighty God, uh, is that really coming about? Because it's been almost 600 years since that was given given to them, and in the midst of that, watch what God does. He tells Isaiah, hey, I got some people who need some comfort. I got some people who need some help. And he says, let them know I'm here. Let them know I am with them. And so if you have your Bibles, jump over from Luke back to the book of Isaiah. And jump into Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. It's on the screen. It's also in your outline. But find it in Scripture so that sometime this week maybe you can read through that. And see how God steps into the middle of this, these feelings that they're going through. He steps into the middle of what's taking place in their lives. And he says, okay, let me, let me step in and, and give you a word of encouragement. So here's what he says. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, why does he say comfort, comfort my people? Because his people needed what? Comfort. Yeah, you got it, okay? Yes, they needed comfort. It, it, the words there are a double imperative. You see that they're used twice. In the Hebrew, there was no words that would match up with good, better, best. And so if you wanted something to be emphasized, you would say it twice. And so that's why Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 6, we sing the great hymn, holy, 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 because it's saying good, better, best. Holy, holy, holiest is God. They didn't have that way of speaking in in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew language, and so they had to repeat it. And so God is saying, comfort, comfort my people. Wow. He, he really knows when we need comfort? Absolutely. The Israelites are trying to be faithful. They, they are trying to do the right thing. But if you read the Old Testament, you'll see there were some good kings and there were some bad kings. And then there were some bad kings and there were some good kings. And then there were a lot of bad kings and then there were some good kings. And there were more bad kings than good kings. And somewhere in there, it got hard for them. And God allows the Assyrians to come and invade their land. He allows some to be carried off into Babylon. And he knows what they are going through. And the people, the remnant, those who are trying to follow God are saying, God, we're, we're paying for the sins of, of our kings who are bad kings. God, why are we having to do this? And maybe, maybe they were even thinking, God, why should we have to continue to be punished? Why should we continue to be faithful? When that's happening to us, why should we continue to go to the temple on a regular basis? Why should we continue to pay the offerings and the sacrifices? Why should we continue to pray and do what's right? Why should we continue to follow the law put, uh, that's put on us when, when God, I, I'm just not seeing the benefits? God, I, I'm not seeing how this all comes into focus. God, we're trying to do the right thing, but it's just not paying off yet. So God says, comfort, comfort my people. Goes on, says in verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem 
and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God is saying, okay, punishment is over. Okay, all the uh, invading countries that have kind of uh, uh, ostracized you from your people being able to be together, there will be the Messiah who will come and he will pay for all those sins that have led to the punishment that you are going through. Be comforted. It's, it, it, it's coming. Verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You know what that's showing me? That God will move heaven and earth to get to you. Make a way in the highway. Lower the val- uh, raise the valleys. Lower the hills. Our God is coming. Our God is coming to give His grace, to give His peace, to give His love. Just continue to have your joy. Hope, hope. Don't give up hope. Be comforted. Be comforted, my people. You know, that grace that, that, that God is foreshadowing, really we talked about this over the course of this last uh, fall time. If you were in our Grace is Greater series, you would have heard this illustration, but let me share it with all of us because we didn't get to talk about it um, outside of our community groups. But Kyle Eidemann gave a teaching, and he talked about how grace is, is kind of like if you would come to God with a cup, and your cup is empty. And you're feeling a weariness. You're fearing, feeling a weakness that maybe you have. You're feeling a tiredness. And you just need God to kind of fill you up. And you notice that maybe there's a hose coming out from the wall over here. And you bring that hose over and you put it over the cup. And the f- water begins to flow when you put it over the cup. And it flows and it flows and it flows. And it fills up that cup. And then it stops. You say, wow. That's great. It, it, it filled me up. God, thank you for stepping in amidst that situation. And so you side, there's another situation you have in your life. Maybe you're going through some more difficulties, but you bring an empty bucket. And then over that bucket, you again put that hose, and here comes more water. Because this time, maybe you have a health scare, or maybe you're in school and you have some grades that you're not making, and so you're beginning to panic whether you'll get your scholarships or whether you'll continue to have the GPA that you need, or you're in college and you're fearful that you have to continue to get these good grades, and you just need God's comfort in the midst of this. Or maybe you have some bills that you have not uh, been able to pay recently, and so you want to be able to do that, and that water begins to flow. The grace begins to come in to the empty bucket that you brought before the Lord. And it fills up that bucket. And then it stops. You say, God, thank you so much. That that was hugely helpful in that time. And so you bring the next time a wheelbarrow with you. And this time you come up with a wheelbarrow because maybe this time you've lost your job or your marriage is very rough and you're going through a rough patch or maybe you have some special needs in your family or with your children and you're just exhausted. And so you bring that wheelbarrow and again, the water pours on, the grace begins to come in, fills that wheelbarrow up with God's grace for you. And so the next time you're experiencing something, you back up a semi-truckload. And you bring it up, and again, that water begins to flow, not fast, but steady. Maybe this time you have cancer. Maybe you find out the cancer is terminal. Or maybe you found out about the abuse. Or maybe you found out about the affair. And it hurts. And so you bring that semi-truck up, and again, the water turns on. And the water fills 
that semi-truck up with God's grace. To help you in your weariness. To help you in your struggles. And you begin to see, man, how far will this grace go? And you begin to look over at the hose and it's connected to a wall. And you walk behind the wall and you see that there's another pipe that's connected to the delta, which is connected to the ocean. And you quickly realize, wow, it continues to flow with whatever I bring to God. He continues to fill my life up. And so what I want to encourage you is bring your semi-truck full of life. Expect that from God because that's where his grace is. When you are weary, when you are tired, when you need comfort, he brings his grace into your life and he will put it into whatever you bring to him because that's how much grace he has for us. That's how much love he has for us. And here's Isaiah reminding the Israelites, saying, I know it's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, but hang on. Comfort, comfort is coming. Verse 7 and 8 says, The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures how long, First Baptist? forever, forever. You know, our country is only a few hundred years old. You compare it to other places. Even in this day, the biblical days, these places where Isaiah shared these words, they are buried under thousands of years of history, thousands of years. Um, uh, Scientists, researchers, uh, archaeologists have gone and unearthed all these artifacts and these runes um, from how old this is. You think about Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is only a footnote. Basil read about Caesar Augustus. He's only mentioned because of Jesus We don't talk about Caesar. He is more famous for salad now than he is for being the ruler, right? Why is Jesus, though, continue to be talked about? Because that's God's word, and that's God's purpose, and that's God's promise, Jesus. Caesar is just a footnote on the midst of that. God's word stands forever. Look at the language. Go down to verse 11. It says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Again, very comforting. Shepherd-like shepherding that God does for his people because he loves them. And then watch this. Jump all the way to the end where it says in verse 28, Do you not know and have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. That's where we enter into now this verse in 29, and this is where the promise comes in. Start to click with this. Watch this. He says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. See, when you are weary, when you need that, that's when his strength comes to you. That's when the water begins to pour into your life. When you have that weariness, you ask God, God, give me strength. And he doesn't just shoo you aside. What does he do? He gives you that strength. He brings that comfort your way. He fills you up with his grace. 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be 
faint. That word there for hope or wait, as it's translated in some of your versions, is the Hebrew word hava, which, which has a word picture with it that is like a robber waiting on the side of a road, waiting for someone to pass by, eager, anticipating, participatory, active waiting Something's about to happen. Something's going to take place, and I'm going to be ready for it. And God is saying, if you maintain that type of hope, if you maintain that type of waiting, then you will find the strength that you need. But here's the question. Do you believe the promises of God's Word? See, God, God will identify what the people are going through because He knows we're going to go through it as well. It's in there. We can see that. We can... But he gives them promises. And those promises are God's word that we've just read that will last forever. It will always stand. It will always be in place for us. And so the question is, do you believe in those promises? And second question, do you choose joy while you're waiting for those promises to come about? The answer to that second question is probably what depends upon what you believe about the first question. Do you believe those promises? Does your faith, does your joy rest on circumstances being good, things happening that you want to happen that you think should happen, or do they rest upon God's promises of saying in his time and in his way he's going to bring this about? Last week I talked about Christmas and the love that Mary experienced and the love that she chose, even the joy that she chose um, at the Christmas time. You know, and I, and I gave an analogy of Christmas. And Christmas is not all about the Christmas lights. There are Christmas shadows as well. We go through tough, tough times. And Christmas time seems to magnify those times of maybe loneliness and, and make it a little bit more lonely. There are Christmas shadows as well. But there are Christmas shadows only because there are Christmas lights. And those lights shine in the darkness. That means there is no more eternal darkness. When we have Christ in our lives, yes, we will have shadows at times. Because there's light, there's going to be shadows. But no more eternal darkness. In fact, it's why we've been lighting these candles every week. And they're getting brighter and they're getting brighter and they're getting brighter. I can't wait to light the Christ candle. That's the middle one that we're going to light at Christmas Eve. Because at that point in time, we remember He's here. He has come. And I can't wait to also share that with all of you because as we've been saying, we're going to have a candlelight service. And so each of you will have a candle as well if you come to that service. And we'll take it and we'll light the first one from that Christ candle right in the middle of that. And I will pass that down to some ushers and they will pass that all around. And we will see row after row after row after row after row after row just begin to light up. And it will be some, some incredible imagery, some incredible symbolism of saying from that one candle, waiting with hope and joy and love and peace, but now the Christ candle, from that one candle, it lights up this entire room. Do you realize this will be the first time on Christmas Eve that this room will be lit in that type of a way? This, this building's been around for decade upon decade upon decade upon decade, and now the love of Jesus is going to invade this room. The light of Jesus is going to be here for everyone to see. My question to you is, do you have some people who should be here with you on Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve is on the 24th this year. Okay? Just in, just in case you're wondering about that. 
Okay? That's, that's a Monday. Next Monday, as Pastor Derek reminded, of, reminded us, we have an invitation in your bulletin. I'd encourage you. Give that, put that in a place where you will see that and pray for that often. Maybe take it to work. Maybe put it in your car. Do you have a work associate? Do you have a friend? Do you have a relative that need to know about the light of Jesus? You do your part. That's all you can do. Step up, invite them, see where the Holy Spirit takes that. Bring them here on that day. See where the Holy Spirit brings this service. I guarantee you people are looking for answers. They might not be asking for it, but they are looking for answers and around Christmas time and Easter time is a prime place to say, hey, let me share with you the hope that I have. Let me put the light of Jesus in front of you. And this service, first time we'll ever do it over here, and the candlelight services that we will have, the candlelight service, the one service at 5 o'clock on that night, will just be an event that I think you'll remember. Uh, As a kid, I remember doing those services, and they were so meaningful to remember those things. It's, 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 It's times like that that we say, okay, God, I know you're here. And even when I don't understand everything, God, even when we don't know why, we can say, but God does. Even when we don't know how, we can say, but God does. Even when we don't know what's next, we can say, God knows what's next. And we're reminding ourselves of that. Once a year, we do it at the Christmas time. Once a week, we do it here in services. It's why we don't... Yeah, we do take God's Word seriously, and we do want to gather regularly, and we don't want you to be away from God's Word. In fact, that's why we encourage you to read God's Word every day so that it doesn't just become a week-to-week thing. It doesn't just become a season-to-season thing. It becomes an everyday thing. Why? Because when we don't, we become weary. In fact, look back at the verse that I gave you at the beginning, Galatians 6, 9. Remember what that verse said? Let me read it again. It said, let us not become weary in doing good. But that was only the first part of the verse. Look at what Paul says next. He fills it in by saying this, for at the proper time, we will reap a what? If we do not what? If you don't give up. You'll see it coming about. If you don't give up, God will be faithful. If you continue to say, God, I'm going to do it your way, you'll see the harvest come about. God, I'm going to continue to give even when I give sacrificially. You'll see that harvest come about. God, I'm going to continue to do the right thing. Make it the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing even when it doesn't prove to be right or doesn't look to be right in the moment. God, I'm going to do the right thing. And even as the prophet Isaiah brought the comfort to the people. We see that in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people. Paul in the New Testament mirrors that when he says out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look what he says. He says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now get this, follow this with me. The Father of compassion and the God of all what? Try that again. The God of all what? Who what? Comforts us in our troubles so that we can what? Comfort those in any trouble with the what? Comfort we ourselves receive from God. Four times Paul says comfort, 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 comfort. Do you know why he says that? Watch this. At the end of that chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he gives this culminating verse. He says in verse 20, For no matter 
how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Oh, 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 right there. That takes care of it. That is it. That is the trump card. That lays it all out. That is the reason we celebrate Advent. That is the reason the Christ candle is coming. He's coming. He's coming. That is it. No other thing needs to be said. There are yes in Christ. In fact, would you read that verse with me like you really believe what that verse says? Read it with me. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. His promise fulfilled in Christ. Amen? Amen. You know, in just a bit, we're going to have one last worship song, but it'll be a little longer of a worship song because um, if you need some time for prayer, if you just need today to be comforted just a little bit beyond what you normally are, we're going to have a time where we'll be able to pray for you. Sometimes we do this in the middle of the service. Sometimes we do it at the end. I, I do want to ask that you don't leave during this worship time, this last song, uh, only coming forward to be prayed for um, because we know that there are people who need that comfort. You might be one of those today just to say, yep, I'd love to have a little bit more comfort in my life. Would you pray with me? Yes, that's God's people coming around, joining in, being a part of that comforting factor because we know what we have in Christ. It's yes, yes, yes. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the way that um, they are found to be yes in Christ. God, even as Isaiah addressed his people, saying, you need comfort, let me give you a comfort. You will have one who is coming, the Messiah, will be here to take away your sins, the Messiah who will change everything, that one by the name of Jesus, the Christ, is for you. God, I thank you for what that means. It means everything in all this life that is confusing, will be answered, and it will find its answer in Christ of yes. It means every longing we've had will be filled up. It means every glass, every bucket, every wheelbarrow, every semi-truck that we need in our life that is weary and tired, it will be filled up with your grace. God, it will be yes. God, I pray for those today here who need that kind of comfort. In fact, if you just do this with every head bowed, with every eye closed, um, if today you're saying, Pastor, I just need a little extra prayer, I just need a little extra comfort in my life, would you personally pray for me this week? Just, if you would, just raise up your hand right now, and I'll just see that. Praise God. Yep, all over the auditorium. Absolutely. Yep. From east to west. Yep. I see those hands. God sees those hands. We will pray. I will pray for you personally this week that God will bring more comfort into your life. Let me say this as well. If perhaps today you came here and you didn't realize that it all comes and points to Jesus, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus, every answer in our life points to Jesus, that's about Jesus, we need Jesus, and personally, you have not accepted Jesus yet into your life, and today would be a day that you say, yep, I want Jesus here, I want him in my life, God, I'm f ask for forgiveness of my sins, God, I, I want to turn, I repent now, and I plan to follow him. God, today I want to receive Jesus into my heart. Again, with every head bow, every eye closed, if you don't mind, just slipping up your hand. Make eye contact with me so that I can see today's the day you're saying yes to him. Today's the day. Be there anyone? Praise God. Yep. 
Yep, leave them up for just a moment, just so I can see that and just acknowledge that with you. Uh-huh. Praise God down here. Yep. Up the side. Praise God. Yeah, I see you in the middle. Thank you. Thank you. If you just pray this prayer right after me, Lord Jesus, today is the day I surrender to you. I ask for your peace and your comfort in my life. Lord Jesus, I invite you in. I surrender to you. God, I thank you for the hope that we can have in the love of Jesus to live in joy and peace. And so, God, even as we sing this last worship song, folks, if you would like to be personally prayed for, please come down. You can join in time of prayer. We can go beyond the song as well if you'd like to just experience that in prayer. Otherwise, if you would stand to your feet as I end this prayer and you'll sing these words to this song, we know that they will reach the throne of God and his comfort will be upon us. Lord, we thank you for that. And it's in the name of Jesus that we now worship you again. Amen.